Today, I'm going to start a new series with you over three weeks. Uh, it's a series that is really targeted at um, uh, bringing us into the Psalms and then at the same time, allowing the ancient words of God to minister to us in our present situation. And I want to share with you something which is very close to my heart uh, this, this morning, entitled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Now, I know we, we all know that the Bible says there is... No one who is good, only God alone is good. But I think I'm using a, um, a, a, a figure of speech that everybody used today. So when we say good, we mean decent, godly people. So shall we um, bow? We have a word of prayer and then we'll begin. Wonderful. Father, we are so grateful to you this morning that you're, you are here with us. As we worship and we lift up your name, we know that you are present to speak to us, to minister to us, and to direct us and instruct us. So I pray that you anoint your servant so that I may deliver your word with clarity, simplicity, and authority. And may your word speak to us personally, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Several years ago, um, I have a missionary friend who was brutally murdered uh, in Cambodia. Her name was Wendy. Wendy was a missionary from Singapore who gave her life to actually serve the poor in Cambodia. She has no children of her own, and so she, but she was a mother. She was like a mother to the orphans and the widows in Cambodia. She cared for them, she taught them, she loved them, she served them with passion and compassion. What happened was four Cambodian workers that was actually employed by the church to build a new school uh, for, the, for the orphans confessed to that hideous crime, just over some misunderstanding. And in times like this, we were all asking the question, why would something so bad happen to someone who is so good? Two weeks ago, um, the body of Christ in Singapore, and I just came back from there, we grieved over the departure of a missions champion. His name was Joseph Chen. And many of you who, uh, who have friends in Singapore, you will see the post going around. He was a former leader of the Youth with a Mission in Singapore. And what happened was he was teaching in a discipleship training school in Egypt. And then after teaching in Egypt, he went over to Istanbul uh, for a break. And while he was there, he was killed in a tragic road accident actually on his way to the airport, about to take a flight back home and actually celebrate his birthday with his family. And he was tragically killed. In times like this, we ask this pertinent question, why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Have you ever grappled with that before? And I think that's the dilemma of life. And this is the theme of my message uh, this morning. So while I may begin like this, uh, telling you uh, real stories like this, but I also want you to know that we're going to end with hope because we serve a God who never fails. Now the psalmist I discovered in Psalm 73 also went through that same dilemma. And I learned from the summaries, what should our response be in times like this? When we go through stuff that we don't understand. In fact, the summaries in Psalm 73, he was so perplexed by what he saw that he almost stumbled and fell. His, his, his faith almost, almost got tripped over and he could not reconcile the facts 
with his faith, but God gave him a breakthrough. So I'm going to invite you now to go with me to Psalm 73. I want you to read that Psalm from that perspective and then feel the inner conflict of the psalmist, okay? And feel the conflict that he's going through within his his inner man. So let's go to Psalms 73 and let me read this beautiful psalm written by none other than the worship director of Israel. Okay, the, the worship pastor, if you like, of Israel. And his name was Asaph. And Asaph wrote Psalm 73. And he reads like this. Go with me now. Psalm 73, verse 1. Surely, truly, definitely, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet has almost slipped. I have nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant and I, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he described them, and it goes like this. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence, and from their collars' hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And they said, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care, and they go on amassing wealth. In other words, they are becoming healthy and they are becoming prosperous. And then he said this in verse 13, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I have spoken like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. In some translation, it says it was oppressive to me until, and here's a turning point, till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. So now you see the turning around. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruins. How suddenly are they destroyed? Completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. And when you arise, Lord, you despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a brute beast before you. Yet, I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? On earth, there's nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroyed all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge and I will tell of all your deeds. Hallelujah. Psalm 73, as you read through it, there's, there are three movements, there are three paradigm shifts that took place. Okay, And in verse 1, the psalmist begins, you notice, as a worship leader of Israel, he started off with this grand theological proposition. And it goes like this, Surely, definitely, truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. How many of you know that's a theological statement? 
He's making a theological statement about who God is. Okay, and that word good, he says God is good to Israel. The word good signifies all of God's goodness, all of God's graciousness, all of His blessings. It includes His promises, His power, His wisdom, etc. And what is, the psalmist is saying is this, God is good to Israel. God is good to the pure in heart. Or for those, He's good to those who are devoted to Israel. So what he's saying is that as a theological fact, is this, God is good to His people. God is good to His people. But then the very next breath, he go on to say in verse 2, but as for me, whenever you see the word but, I've told you many times, right? Whenever you see the word but, it is a turnaround word. It means that something good is about to become bad. Something bad is about to become good. Whenever you say but, it's going to turn things around. Pastor Dan, your hairstyle looks fantastic on you. But, uh, that means I'm going to tell him something negative. See, but is a turnaround word. Okay, and what, what happened before? Was it good or bad? It was good. He was making a theological statement. God is good to His people. But in the very next verse, He says, But as for me, my feet has almost slipped. I've nearly lost my foothold. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is this, God is good, but not to me. Ever felt that before? Yeah, I know that God is good, but not to me. What is true in exposition is not true in experience. Why? i tell you the reason why. The reason why in verse 3, in fact, he declared it himself. He says, for, I envied the arrogant. For means because. That's the reason. He said, God is good to Israel, but my feet almost slip. Why? Because I envied the arrogant and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he bring up two groups of people, the arrogant, the wicked. And he says, I envied after them. I, I longed and I lasted for what they have. See, the word wicked in the Hebrew is the word rasha, which describes a person that's hostile to God. That's who a wicked man is, someone who is hostile towards God. And that word arrogant, very interesting, the word arrogant uh, has a word picture of a loud and clear noise. So when, he, when the psalmist says arrogant, he's actually referring to someone who is tooting his horn loudly, making a loud noise, drawing attention to himself. Another word picture is a, a brain donkey. It's like someone who is beep-bong, beep-bong, and hee-haw, 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 doing what? Drawing attention to themselves. What a vivid description of an arrogant person. You know, it's one thing to be proud, it's another thing to be arrogant. If you are proud, at least you try to hide it. But when you're arrogant, it all spills out. You, know? you cannot control. And how many of you agree? Arrogant people are obnoxious. and not easy to deal with. I can't, I can't handle arrogant people. At least you're proud, you try to hide, and then you act humble. But arrogant is everything. He's calling attention to himself. And that's an obnoxious description. And he says, but the thing, the problem is this, the psalmist actually envied the arrogant. He actually envied the wicked. Why? Because he wanted what they had. They saw that they seemed to be, have life very good. They seemed to be prosperous and healthy and all that. Say, oh, I wish I can be like them. But he doesn't know what he's asking for. Did I ever tell you there's a story of the, this guy who, who's a poor man. He worked all his life to become rich. But when he finally amassed his wealth, before he could enjoy it, he died. 
Ayo, died before he could enjoy his wealth. And so the family got together, they were about to prepare for his barrier. And then one of the family members said, you know, this guy, he always wanted to make it in life. And then he had this dream, you know, that one day when I make it, I am going to sit at the back of a limousine, have a driver drive me around the whole town so that everybody know I made it. And so they said, why don't we just fulfill his dream before we bury him six feet underground? And so that's what they did. They took his corpse, painted a, a smile on his face, put him in a tuxedo, put him at the back of a limousine, have a driver drive him around town. Everybody was looking, wow, wow, wow. And then this limousine stopped at a traffic light. There were two guys at the traffic junction. Wow, I saw this rich-looking man sitting at the back of a limousine. So one guy said to the other, wow, I wish I can be in his shoes. <laughs> he got that. He doesn't know what he's asking for. And that's the problem. The Samis actually envied what the arrogant people have. He envied after what the wicked have. But he doesn't know what he was asking for. So often, you and I also look at the people in the world and then we envy what they have and our heart goes out to it. But we also don't realise what we're asking for. How often it is, you know, our perspective is all so upside down. For example, you know, the way we think is that we are all human beings having a temporary human, uh, uh, having a temporary spiritual experience once a week in a church like that, or, or you go to a cell group, that's when I, as a human being, I'm having a temporary spiritual experience. But the truth is the opposite. Actually, all of us are spirit beings. How many of you agree? We are spirit beings and we are having a very temporary human experience. Even if you live to 100 years, it's a very temporary human experience compared to eternity, isn't it? That's a perspective. See, and like we always say, when we die, then what happens? We are leaving the land of the living. But actually the opposite is true. Do you realise as a believer, when you die, you leave the land of the dying and you're going to the land of those who will be alive forevermore. That's a perspective we need to have now that we are believers. And that is why the Apostle Paul declared in Philippians 1.12, right, uh, 1.21, he said, for me to live is what? Christ. To die is gain. You know what he's saying? For me to live is only one purpose. I live for Christ. But to die, even better. Because I get to be with the object of my love. I get to be with Jesus. And the summits in Psalm 73 had this problem. He envied the arrogant and the wicked. Why? Because his perspective was messed up. And then you notice from verse 4 to 12, if you, if you read verse 4 to 12 of Psalm 73, he described how the wicked are like. And he said they are like prosperous, they are proud, and they are powerful. Right, read read verse, verse 4 with me. Okay, Take a look at what he's, how he describes them. He said, They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride became their necklace. And he ended up by saying this. This is what the wicked are like in verse 12. Always free of care. And they go on amassing wealth. You know what he's saying? He's describing the wicked, the, 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 the people in this world as this. They seem to have health, wealth and self all in place. They are too blessed to be stressed. They are healthy, wealthy and happy until they become naughty. That's the problem. They talk big, they act tough and yet God seems to let them get away with all this. 
He says, why? 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 And then in verse 13 to verse 16, finally he exclaimed, you know, in desperation. He said, I give up. It's no use. What's the point? Look at verse 13. He says, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. He says, I'm the worship leader of Israel. All my life, I try to keep my heart pure. All my life, I wash my hands. I try to live an innocent life. But now he says, I observe all these things around me. And he said, I can't reconcile between the suffering of the saints and the success of the sinners. But at the same time, he also know that as the worship leader of Israel, if he talked like that, then he'll be betraying the generations. They are looking to him for spiritual direction. Isn't that correct? Can you imagine if Pastor Dave, our worship leader, talked like that? Well, I wish I can be longing after the things of this. We also think something will be wrong. And the psalmist knows that. Asaph knows. As the worship leader of Israel, I cannot do that. If I talk like that, the, the people will be stumbled. So in verse 15, he said this, If I have said I will speak thus, then I would have betrayed your children. So are you getting this? He's caught in a dilemma. On one hand, his mind is telling him, why is it like that? But on the other hand, he cannot say. If he say that, everybody will be stumbled. So he's caught in this inner conflict and he didn't know what to do with it. And then in verse 16, he says, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. The more he tried and figured it out, the more oppressed he feel. So, question is this. What's the alternative? Is there an answer to all this? I'm glad to tell you there is an answer. And the thing is this. Listen carefully, brothers and sisters. The answer is not found in reason. It is found in revelation. The answer is not found in logic. The answer is found in who our God is. It's not reasoning. It is revelation. And the turning point for the psalmist was verse 17. He says, everything was oppressive to me. Until when? Until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. I like the way that the Message Bible translates this verse 17. He says, till I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood the whole picture. My friends, it is in the presence of God that we will see beyond what is here and now. And we capture a perspective that is longer in time, wider in space. You with me? When we go through situations and circumstances that we do not understand, the best thing to do is to bring them into the presence of God in prayer, in worship, in surrender. And then we let God renovate our minds, transform our spiritual climate inside. That's the only way. The answer is not found in reasoning. It's found in revelation. And that is why I don't understand when people are in trouble. Our tendency is to run away from the house of God rather than to run to the house of God. That I cannot understand. Sometimes I find with Christians, the more troubled they are, the more they run away from God. When actually the opposite should be true. The more troubled you are, the more you should show up. The more sinful we feel, the more we should be found in God's presence. 
The more needy we are, the more we need to draw near, not run away. Hello? You with me? You can't run away. When we, when we are troubled, and not, we should run more into the presence of God. You know, my, my friend Wendy, when she was murdered in Cambodia, I was very worried for her husband, who is also a pastor friend of mine. His name is Paul. But I was so relieved, you know, later to read in the papers that Paul actually gave an emotional speech at her, at her memorial service. And in that speech, he actually talked about how he has forgiven the man who did this to his wife. In his exact words, this is what he said. Though the actions of those responsible will have legal consequences, I forgive them. Then he said, there are those here who carry guilt feelings over what happened because the church leaders, the pastors, the people who work in that, in, in, in that project, they all feel very guilty that they missed this and actually allowed this to happen. But he said that it was a combination of things that went wrong that led to this. And I want to say to everyone, I blame no one. And in that memorial service, he released everybody. When my friend Joseph Chen died, in Istanbul, his wife actually flew all the way to Istanbul, visit the site of the accident, and then actually take the trouble to seek out the driver who was driving the taxi that caused the accident and, and the husband died, actually went to see him. And in front of him and his family, say to them, although this has brought us so much pain, but we want you to know that we forgive you. The, the parents were so touched, they were in tears. And this... Um, people of the Islamic faith. And they were so touched by what um, Kim, the, the wife of Joseph, did. And they took the trouble to look, look for this, this driver and actually just to speak those words of encouragement. How many of you agree? Those can only be words that comes from someone who has taken their confusion into the presence of God. And then they come up with an eternal, godly perspective. And only in God's presence can we realize that it is God and not man who has the final say. And since God has the final say, we can put our trust in Him. We mutter, we sputter, we fume and we spurt, we mumble, we grumble, our feelings get hurt. We can't understand things. Our vision grows dim when all we need is a moment with Him. It's a moment in the presence of our God. And there in the presence of God, the psalmist entered the sanctuary of God and in his presence, he began to realize three things that were wrong. Let me outline for you what they are. Firstly, the psalmist realized that he had a wrong perspective. He was viewing life from a temporal rather than an eternal perspective. And in the end, he realized in the presence of God that the righteous will be vindicated and the wicked will be destroyed. That's their final destiny. So in verse 18, he now says this, Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down in ruins. How suddenly are they destroyed? Completely swept away by terrors. What the psalmist realized in the presence of God is this, that in the end, good will overcome evil. In the end, light will conquer darkness and right will prevail over wrong. And he had this fresh perspective. In the presence of God, he realized he went after the wrong pursuits. He was, he was actually desiring after material rather than spiritual things. 
And the psalmist recognised that in the presence of God that he has envied the wicked and the arrogant and he had it all wrong. In verse 21 and 22, he began to confess this, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a brute beast before you. When we look at life, we can also often be senseless and ignorant. We can end up focusing on the side shows and we miss the main event. In verse 23 to 24, he, he began to realise this is the main event. My friends, don't miss this. Huh? He said, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. What is he saying? I said he's beginning to realise that he was so distracted, you know, by all the things of the world, he actually missed the main event, which is what? The presence of God in our life. Do you realise, brothers and sisters, that you have such a precious gift? You have such a treasure. Every one of us have that treasure. What is that? That's the presence of God. Whatever may happen in life, come hell or high water, one thing we know, we always have the presence of God. And this is what we should realise is precious to us. And he says, you know, I, you are, I've always been with you. You have always been with me. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And later you're going to take me to glory. And he says, I'm so distracted by all this stuff that I actually miss the main event, which is the presence of God. Then he realised the third thing that was wrong. His hope was placed in the wrong place. His hope was in the wrong place. You look at verse 25 and 26 now. Then he now says, Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my, blood, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And he suddenly realised he placed his hope on earth rather than heaven, on people rather than God. My friends, this is the turning point. We can also miss the point when we look at life from a wrong perspective, we have the wrong pursuits and we put our trust in the wrong place. What we need is to really spend time in the presence of God when we go through things we don't understand. Go into the presence of God in surrender and let God renovate our minds and our heart. You know, I never forget one incident. I told you once before, I think I was... Never forget this instance. I was in Melbourne to meet with a new church that was starting up by a group of young people. And I was in a consultation meeting with them. I was sitting there with a few pastors, all of them young, all in their 30s. And we're sitting around having this chat about church and all of that. And in the middle of that conversation, one of the pastors, his phone rang. And so he went out to take the call. He was actually the worship pastor of the church. He went out to take the call. And then he came back about 10 minutes later and immediately we could tell something is wrong because his face looked white as a sheet when he came in. And then we were saying, what's wrong? And then he tell us the story. What happened was his wife that morning actually went to see the gynecologist because they were expecting their first baby. And that was the day when the gynae told them that the baby turned out to be ectopic, which means that the, the fetus is not in the ovary but it's somewhere in the fallopian tube. And once that happened, the baby cannot develop and it needs to be aborted. And it was devastating because he was expecting his first baby. It was devastating. 
And when he told us that story, we didn't know what to do. None of us know what to say to someone who's going through something like this. He was just totally devastated. And we all sat there in silence. I look at you, you look at me. I was a guest speaker. They're supposed to be the most senior guy there. They all looked to me. I don't know what to say. So I was trying to think up something wise, something, something you know, intelligent to say. I was thinking about all this. But while all that was going on, suddenly this young worship pastor, he burst out into song. He started singing. And the song he sang was this. When the oceans rise and thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the flood. I will be still, know you are God. And when he said that, the presence of God just invaded that place. And all of a sudden, we know we are in the presence of a holy God, a sovereign God. And so what we did, we all joined in and we all began to sing with Him. We all stood up spontaneously and we sang. And the song goes on, you know. Find rest my soul in Christ alone. Know His power in quietness and trust. When the oceans rise and thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the flood. I will be still and know that you are God. And out of that time of being in God's presence, everything changed. Our inner man finds an anchor, you know. And we all get rooted. Of course, he, his grief, his grieving and all of that. And the church journeyed with him. The last time I met this young man, God has blessed him with three other children. So today is a proud father tree. But my point is this. The summits out of his time in the presence of God came out with this three paradigm shift. His perspective shifted from the temporal to the eternal. You know, his pursuit shifted from the material to the spiritual. His place of hope shifted from man to God. That's why he could make this final declaration in verse 28. And this is something all of us should echo. He, he ended his psalm by saying this, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge and I will tell of all your good deeds. Does that verse sound familiar? It reminds you of where he started, isn't it? In verse 2. He says, in verse 2, he said, but as for me, my feet has almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. But by the time spent in the presence of God, he come out at the end and says, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. So out of his time in God's presence, the summits actually shifted from confusion to confidence. Instead of fear, he found faith. You know, in 1993, Darling Checks, I'm sure you all know her name, worship leader, went through a very rough patch in her life. And when things were becoming so tough, she ran into the presence of God. She read Psalms 96. And then she wrote this stirring song that many of us sing, Shout to the Lord. And she worshipped. There's a lady called Laura, Laurie Klein. Reggie went through a season of extreme loneliness and financial strain. She went into the presence of God, 
picked up her guitar and God actually burst these words into her soul. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. And that song went all across the bamboo curtain, iron curtain, went everywhere. And she worshipped. You all know Don Moen? Yes. You know means you are my generation. <laughs> Don Moen was on a plane, actually, on his way to his young nephew's funeral. Nephew died in a tragic road accident and he was going to the funeral. And on that plane, he was struggling to reconcile the tragedy you know, with the God that he knew. And on that plane, he read Isaiah 43 verse 19 that says, I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And then the presence of God in that plane, Don Moen wrote that song. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And he wrote, he wrote that song, God will make a way and he worshipped. You know, when bad things happen to good people, this is the best thing to do. We run into the presence of God. We put our trust in Him. And we, build, we trust God's infinite wisdom to make all things beautiful in His time. And we know that we know God is weaving, you know, in all of these things, God is weaving His tapestry of time. You know how life is like that? Sometimes I feel that this is what we go through in life, you know. Or it's like a giant tapestry in the sky. Right? And all of us are under the tapestry looking up. And then when you, you, you know what a tapestry is, right? It's where women do their weaving. Can you imagine if you are under this giant tapestry on earth and we are looking up at this tapestry? What will you see? You see strings coming through, right? Sometimes the string is black when everything is gloomy and dark. Sometimes it's white when things are just neutral, normal, routine. Other times it's grey when things are uncertain and you don't know what the future holds. Other times it's delightful colours, thankfully. Red, blue, green, yellow. A new baby is born. You just bought a new car, just got a new house, just got promoted. Moments like that, it's so much joy and it's delightful. But how many of you know when you're under the tapestry, you see all these strings coming through, different colours and all that. They crisscross here and there. They overlap here and there. But you know, you make no sense of it. Sometimes you see all these different things, you know, good things, bad things, tragedy, all these kind of things happening in our life. It makes no sense. You can't figure out the pattern. Some of us are still trying to figure out the pattern. Others have resigned yourself to it and say, ki sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. When actually all this time, God is inviting us, stop striving, stop struggling, but you soar up with wings of faith to my side of the tapestry. And when you go to his side, you're going to discover that God is the one who's pushing the needle. God is the one who is weaving the tapestry of your life. And when he has put it all together, all of us, he's got a beautiful pattern planned for you. Are you with me? And this is what we are going through right now. We're going through this time when we don't always understand everything. But by faith, we need to saw over and trust the master weaver in what he's doing. There will be times of great joy in our life. There can also be times of sorrow. There are periods of tranquility. There can also be periods of turmoil. But all of this is necessary for the pattern that God has designed for your life. And we have to trust him. He is our master weaver and he is weaving the most beautiful picture of our life. That's why we sing, in His time, in His time. He make all things beautiful in His time. I feel so poetic today. I'll give you one more poem. 
Not until each loom is silent and the shutters cease to fly will God unroll the pattern and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver for the pattern He has planned. God has a pattern He's planning for your life. We don't always understand everything, but when we don't, let's soar over to His side and trust Him as the master weaver. He's pushing the needles of our life. Let me end with this, and then we'll pray. The promises of God, I believe, belongs to those who are willing to wait upon Him. But the hardest room to be in, I think, is God's waiting room. How many of you agree? The hardest room to be in is to be in God's waiting room. When things haven't sorted itself out, when we are still in that place of waiting, still in that place of asking God to break through in all the situations of our life. But I want you to understand this. Even though the hardest room to be in is God's waiting room, yet it is in that sacred space of waiting that our faith is deepened. Our soul is sanctified and our discipleship journey is blessed. It's upon this theological anchor of God's unfailing faithfulness, God's sovereignty, that you and I can confidently declare Isaiah 40, verse 30 and 31. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You know this word wait? They that wait upon the Lord. While we're in that waiting room, this word wait is an interesting Hebrew word. It's a word kavah. Which, and you notice that in Isaiah 40, the prophet is not just saying wait, but he's saying wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Contextually, Isaiah declared these words when Israel was actually caught. What is their situation when he said those words? The Israel was actually caught in a major conflict between the superpowers of that time, Assyria, Babylon, and Egypt. And, and, and Israel was just a tiny nation. And they don't know which of these superpowers to look to. They don't know who should they trust. Assyria, Babylon, Egypt. And the prophet actually showed up to tell them not to look to any of these superpowers, but to trust upon the Lord. To wait upon God and trust Him alone. That God alone is the source of your strength. He is our ultimate security. And those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And whenever we think of the word wait, we get this picture of waiting passively, sitting there waiting passively for something to happen. When is a breakthrough going to happen? But do you realise this word kava? It actually has two components. There is a passive component. There's an active component. The passive component is when we wait in surrender and yieldedness and we say, God, your will be done. That's the passive side of waiting. But there's also an active side. The active side is when we take who God is, His character. We take what He says, His promises, and we hold on to it. Hello? You get me? So it's not just waiting passively. When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? In the meantime, you are fighting for that breakthrough by holding on to who my God is, holding on to what He promises. And then we are taking these promises and bringing it to God while we are waiting for His sovereign timing. We are waiting for God to come and break through. 
And that word wait, it gets a word picture of someone who is kind of clinging to something. It's like here's a solid pole. I'm clinging to it. The intertwining between my situation and God's promises and who God is. So I'm going through a situation that is that I don't understand. Situation that I wish I can come out of. But I'm and God has given me a promise of breakthrough. I'm gonna hold on to it. I'm not going to let God go. I'm going to hold on to it. And that's waiting upon God. So you get the full picture. There is that sovereignty of God that I'm waiting on. God, in your time, come and move on my situation. But on the other hand, this is what God, you promised me this. This is who you are. And I'm holding on to you. I'm not letting go. That's waiting upon God. That's kavah. And that is what we're talking about here. Some of us here can be going through very difficult times this morning. Because we're going through situations you don't understand. Situations where you are waiting, you're in God's waiting room. It's the hardest place to be. But while you're waiting, it's not just passive, it's also active. You take what the Word of God says and you cling on to it and you don't let Him go. If you're willing to do that, we want to stand together with you and we hold on to God. Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning? And it's in the kavah, it is in the waiting that our strength is renewed, our hope is revived and our faith can be revitalized. Therein is our security and our stability. Are you in God's waiting room this morning? Like the psalmist in Psalm 73, come into His presence and let the Lord renovate your inner man. Let Him revive and, and restore and revitalize your faith. And like the prophet Isaiah says, we surrender to who God is, but at the same time, we cling on to what God says and let your strength be renewed. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Whether you're here or you're over in city campus or online, I want you to know this morning, you can put your trust in this awesome God that even when we go through things we don't understand, the answer is not in reasoning, the answer is in revelation. You run into the presence of God and you say, God, I worship you. And you let God renovate your inside. And, and you can walk away with fresh perspective, have fresh pursuits and let God minister to you. You hold on to who God is, wait upon Him. On one hand, you're waiting on His timing and His sovereignty. On the other hand, you're holding on to what He promised and you lay hold of Him. Hold on and don't let go. Amen. Let's pray. And then I'm going to invite you to sing and then I believe the Holy Spirit is here to minister to all of us. So let's pray. Father, I thank You this morning for Your presence here. Lord, you, your heart goes out to my brothers and sisters who may be going through difficult times. And I pray that you will come and minister, come and speak, come and, re and revitalize the faith of your people. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.